Uh, if you're looking for love, find somebody that you don't mind it when they call you a dick. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I think that's... It, yeah. If they can say the mean thing to you and you can handle in it... In the exact way that you need to hear it. Yeah. 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 It's I mean, a good thing. I mean, be able to speak truth to one another, right? That's I mean, why I like being on a podcast with you guys, because you're always mean to me, and I need people around me who don't tell me I'm good. We gotta keep you in check. Exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. what I need. Well, you know, I mean... It, you guys have met me. I'm, I'm a monster. Janine Garofalo's got this great speech in one of the West Wing episodes where she's like, you know, you, you need to have some people around you to tell you that you're great and you're awesome. In fact, if you don't have those people, hire them. However, you also need someone to tell you you're going off the rails. It's just important to have those people in your life. It's very good. So, hey, hello everybody, welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast. We gather around a table and we discuss the films you'll never discuss except this month. That's right, you'll discuss this film in a film studies class because we are doing our anti-trash marathon and we are living in the world of the Western uh, for this month in the anti-trash and then the proper good trash. We'll live it in again next month. I'm very excited about that. Uh, and this uh, this week we're going east. Yeah. Oh, That's this right. Is... West, not all Westerns are cowboy movies. And this is episode 499. 300. 209. What is there? 7,900. <laughs> That's the one. 7,999. Yeah, this is episode 299. We're on the road to 8,000. Looks like we made it. We're on the road to Endgame. So <laughs> well, we will be breaking our marathon a little bit next uh, week for episode 300. Do stay tuned for that. Um, there may be some hints and allegations uh, given to you all via the interwebs, but I will say little else other than it will not be a Western, and um, there may be some surprises. Um, I, I think that's all I want to spoil. That's true. Uh, we finally got Dalton's paternity test back, and we know who his uh, real father is. Fingers crossed! Dalton, I'm yeah. your father. Checks out. Wait, hold on. No. Nope, timeline's not right. Timeline does not work out. Actually, I was very virile, very young. Yeah, no, the timeline works out. <laughs> <laughs> In some... Scandinavian countries. The real mystery is who's my father's father, let's be honest. This is a real mystery. And that is a real one. That but maybe with my paternity test we could find out. We, maybe. Who knows? I don't know how DNA works. 23 and me. I know, me. I know all the mysteries. Is, Look, yeah. I know two things about DNA. You don't give it to the government, and you don't leave it at a crime scene. That's all true. All true. Uh, so anyway, here we I are. I watch a lot of television. Going back to the East, as Arthur has said, we are looking at an Eastern. We're looking at Yojimbo, which is a uh, very seminal film in terms of, uh, speaking of DNA evidence, in, in terms of uh, that it which is, is the Western. Because it's a movie, Daddy. Uh, so earlier, uh, when we were, uh, I think last episode, when we were talking about how excited we were for this Westerns marathon, we said we had never done one. Uh, that's not true. We actually did do a fistful of dollars. We have done a proper cowboy we movie. We did do that. We've also done Django. Uh, we've also done Wild Wild West. And Wicka Wicka Wild. We did Django Wild. Unchained as a bonus episode. So, uh, we flirted with the genre, but not really dived yeah, into. Yeah, we, we've not, we, we haven't really come a courting. To the yeah, Western. We haven't brought it flowers. We brought it flowers. We haven't asked permission. We oh, haven't. I'm gonna take it to dinner. We haven't. We haven't sat on the porch swing. We haven't decided if it's tea. a worthy matriarchal figure or not. We're gonna go to the theater. We're gonna have a great time. Does the Western have good breeding hips? That is the real question. Okay, now it's weird. I don't like. We're this. gonna take it down to our farm in Mexico. No, nope. and we're gonna have a good old time. I don't. I don't like <laughs> this metaphor anymore. Well, that's that's what, what courting was like in the West. Oh, God, that's true. Well, what was courting like in Japan? Because courting, that's where we're at. Um, I believe it involved the sale of donkeys. Um, but that, that can't be right. No, not donkeys. That can't be true. My no, it's a feudal society. I'm sure women were property. My lack of knowledge about Japan has been well documented on. 
on this show. I think it's very similar to feudal Europe, and you would have an exchange and dowries, and um, you would sell off the property of a daughter um, for the sake of providing sons to the you know young man to be. If we have any listeners who are experts on Edo era Japan, now's a great time to send us an email if you've been holding off. I'd like that info. So, Dustin, I, I think. Uh, Now's a good time. I'm going to field this to you because okay. you like you, Jimbo. You like Akira Kurosawa a lot. Um, before we get too far into it, uh, justify our love to the listeners. Explain to them why this is still a Western. Well, I mean, it's a Western because Kurosawa is immensely influenced by last week's director, John Ford. And so his style and his narrativization of his samurai stories are very much told like, uh, you know, sort of lonesome gunslinger type stories. It is a, it's a transposing kind of thing. It's where you move a story from one locale to another locale. It's where you do, you know, uh, Taming of the Shrew in high school, uh, like 10 Things I Hate About You. It's, we may be that, talking about that later in the show. And that's an out. example um, of that kind of thing. And so the, Kurosawa is doing that already. And then this film, you Jimbo itself becomes a Western later in the 60s in Italy when Sergio Leone uh, puts together uh, the Fistful of Dollars and the rest of the Dollars trilogy based on Yojimbo, less so on Sanjiro, and then finally uh, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, sort of its own animal uh, there. But, it gets even more interesting uh, because Yojimbo is based on uh, Red Harvest, the Dashiell Hammett novel, which I don't think is a Western. I think no, it's, it's a very prohibition much, story. It's a prohibition. It's, it's a crime gangster book, you yeah. know. And so, and the, this, you know, if and you those want, stories are inspired by westerns exactly yeah. so uh it's it's all part of the mix when it turns out when it comes to genre it there is a lot of interbreeding there's a lot of mixing that goes on between them and so we're looking at it this week now if you're tuning into the show for the very first time though we got to make some warnings uh first of all this is a 1960 film and uh, it is very old but we are going to spoil it but we will avoid that for the first bit because it is one of those classics that you may not have gotten to right away and i think it is worth watching and i think the pl- i think it's plotty enough that knowing how it goes down is part of the pleasures and so you may or may not want to avoid that they we leave you to make your own choice but in order to give you some kind of reprieve what we'll do is this we'll have a synopsis from arthur the voice of the cinema then we'll play uh, a bit of a thumbs up thumbs down review uh round table in which we just talk about what we think about the film whether we like it or not and we tend to avoid spoilers for that and then we will play a game which might involve just the gentlest of spoilers of this film and maybe a couple other films in its orbit. And so, and then after that, we get down to business. And once we get down to business, that's when all spoiler bets are off. And we're going to talk about how it ends and what ends up happening to uh, Sanjuro, the name of the man with no name in uh, Yojimbo. So uh, there you go. I think that's enough. Uh, let's move on to that synopsis, Mr. Arthur Gordon, if you would, please. A crafty Ronin comes to a town divided by two criminal gangs and decides to play them against each other. To free the town. Oh, and he is a crafty Ronin. He has the best Etsy page I've ever seen. It's so good. Um, you know, he makes little crochet dollies. And uh, you did know, you order any? I, I ordered several. You know, his macrame is really where it's at. I really dig on the macrame quite a bit. No. I'm, no, I'm just enjoying letting you go on this rip. I have nothing to contribute. I'm not much of a crafter myself, but I appreciate. Uh, a I've good... seen your scrapbook closet. <laughs> I have too. Yeah, um, he's a very you know he's got the little funky scissors and he's got all the books and like different kinds of fabric. 
You guys got me. I it's was precious. Just, I was being humble. I didn't want to talk about my true passion on the show. Well, Dustin, you really pushed for this movie. So, I did. Uh, what is your thumbs up, thumbs down review of Yojimbo? Okay, let me tell you something about Yojimbo. Yojimbo is a movie that, at first blush, it is, even if you've seen other Kurosawa films, I think about Rashomon, I think about Seven Samurai, and these films are uh, better, huge, epic. They're maybe better, uh, different, different. I'm gonna, okay. say, I'm gonna say different. They're these huge, epic, uh, thoughtful meditations on what courage means, what class means, what society means. Uh, Rashomon is, uh, in, in, in some senses, an, uh, a meditation on the, uh, the, the deluge, the swamp, the quicksand of pride, Kurosawa himself said. And then as Western audiences began to look at it, it became a conversation about the malleability of truth. And they are part of what we would call art house cinema, and we might talk more about this a little bit later but yojimbo is all of those things but in a much more reduced kind of sense in order to tell a really fun action hero story this is popcorn cinema it just happens to have japanese subtitles it just happens to have kimonos and swords and so it is it's a different animal but that does not mean it is not massively entertaining if you like a good shoot 'em up western you'll like this movie if you like a good gangster movie you'll like this movie if you like the sort of plotting and counter plotting that you might find in a spy thriller or you might again find in a movie like it even i mean drive is a movie i think about sometimes with this um when you think about that sort of gangstery kind of plot, it's doing all of those things. It just happens to be set in feudal Japan. It happens just to have swords. It happens to also have Toshiro Mifune, who is amazing. It also happens to have the most, uh, again, and this is where you sort of know that you're in the realm of popcorn cinema. The score on this movie is so 60s. It's good. It is so secret agent, man. It's intentionally anachronistic in a really awesome way. kind of guitar kind of way, but it also has this slightly Asian lilt that's going on with it as well. It's like, we want you to know you're here in Japan. We want you to know that you're watching a Japanese film from Toho Studios. But at the same time, we are doing something that is part of the swing in 60s as the swinging 60s begins. I mean, it's really sort of prescient in that way. Yeah, Kurosawa, I read, said something to his... Uh composer to the effect of i don't want this to sound like any other samurai movie that's ever been made which and, i think is really cool and it sounds a lot like what future cowboy movies and westerns would end up sounding like and so um, it's doing a lot of really cool things again very seminal for the genre that i already love and so it's 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 just a lot of fun and i just love the story i just love the the, the plays and counterplays and how um senjiro is able to sort of uh, set these different characters against one another it's the action scene and scenes and sequences are great. There's some arresting images, a dog carrying a severed human hand, which is a callback to Los Olvidados from Louis, Louis Buñuel. Um, that it's got this sort of crazy sort of intertextuality working on with it, but it's also just scads of fun. And so really, I think, and this is, this is something I was thinking about. You know, when you start talking about Kurosawa, you sort of like throw people in on the deep end of the pool. You're going to have to watch Ran. You're going to have to watch Rashomon. You're going to have to watch Seven Samurai. It's, Super long, super thoughtful, super philosophical sort of films. But really, I think the the kiddie pool, the entry level, the gateway drug for Kurosawa ought to be a movie like Yojimbo saying, okay, this is the samurai movie. This is what's going on in the 60s. This is sort of the general iconography. This is how we have fun with this. Now, if you dig on this, 
oh, let me show you some Seven Samurai. Oh, let me show you some of this other stuff. And then it becomes something altogether different. And so, yeah, I like it a lot, and I'm a huge fan, and I recommend it highly already. So yeah, I guess I've spoiled some of the things I'm going to say later. But that's my opinion on Thumbs Up, Thumbs Down Review. What do you think, Arthur? Do you like Yojimbo? Is this the first time you've seen it? It was the first time I'd watched it. I'm a little cooler on it, and, and, and it's not really, I don't think, the film's fault. I, I, I was thinking about this after we watched it, and while we were watching it, I, I watched it with Dalton. And uh, he did. Cuddles were had. It was fun. Uh, it was warm and, and uh, snuggly. Uh, the 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 few attempts I've had with uh, Japanese cinema have just I, I've never really warmed to it. it. It it's kind of a slower cinema, and I've just doesn't really draw me in. And so I I can appreciate a lot of what uh, uh, Kurosawa is doing here. I, the the film is gorgeously shot in this crisp black and white, and that Criterion uh, uh, edition looks gorgeous. Um, and I, I really appreciate that at a high contrast, and it just it looks so great uh, throughout, and uh, it's funny. Uh, it is hilarious. Uh, the jokes are just a mile a minute, uh, and it works. You know, the just the as you alluded to, the dog with a hand just running out randomly, no, no, uh, you know, explanation whatsoever, and it just tells just, you everything you need to know. Yeah, I mean, you know exactly what you're walking into, and I, I think the humor lands, uh, the performances are a lot of fun, the the kind of over-the-top cartoony, you know, nature of it just really works, I think. And so I, I appreciate everything, really, that he that he's doing here. But for me, it just kind of feels a little too slow to get started. Uh, you know, the longer the film went, the more invested I kind of began, uh, got with it. Um, but to me, it felt a little too circular in the beginning as he's kind of laying the groundwork of who this character is. And it felt a little circular. And I was like, okay, what are we doing? Where are we going with this? Uh, and then once he dives in and really starts playing the two gangs together, uh, I think it really picks up. And then the introduction of, uh, I don't know the character's name, but he has the gun. Um, yeah, I don't know the character's name either. But adds yeah. a really fun dynamic to it. And there are some fun characters. There's the the uh, the Peter Wormtail-looking uh, brother, yeah, the, who's the, real fun to, the, the, fun to watch. I, I see the middle brother or the youngest, but he's he's with the brother with the gun, and then the brother who's the leader. But yeah, he God, he looks That's Gorobe like, from Seven Samurai. Okay. By the by, is it okay? He looks astonishing. He's got a great look. Uh, you know the 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 giant uh, who's a professional wrestler. We looked him up. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know he's got a great look. He's like six eight and two seventy. He's like a great imposing look, especially when he has to interact with Mifune later in the film. Um, and and so there's a lot there to really like. And, and for me personally, it's just more of a personal taste thing. You know, I don't really have anything negative about the film other than some kind of pacing things early on. Uh, you know, so from, mostly warm on it, but not not at your level. Well, that's fair. That's fine. And you don't have to like everything as much as I do. That's it's, right. It's totally okay. Don't. So, uh, Dalton, what do you say? Thumbs up, thumbs down review of Yojimbo. Well, I fall a, a little bit uh, betwixt you two, I think. Uh it's funny you mentioned Dustin. People uh, try to start people in the Rashomon and the Seven Samurai. I already like those movies. I've seen those movies, and I like them more than I like Yojimbo. Uh, and I think at, at the point of you know being interested in Kurosawa's work that I'm at uh, again, these being only the three movies of his I've seen, I've just I want to go to the other stuff. I want to, I want Throne of Blood. I want Ran. And Yojimbo is, as you said, pretty lean, but. I've seen it. I've seen Fistful of Dollars. I've seen Last Man Standing starring Bruce Willis, which is also about you know the same story. So I've seen already two permutations of the story, and to watch four double crosses, and it's it just goes him playing these two uh, you know crime families against each other is fun. 
but there's so many different times that he he swaps allegiances without anything really happening. If every time he swapped allegiances there was a huge loss on the other side, I think it would be more noticeable. But all the losses kind of happen at once. It's not like he's slowly but surely like... And, and again, I can see the first draft of the script it making sense to say, well, we need to like explain this about this group, so he's got to go with them each once to explain it, and then he's got to actually make them lose something once, but... That adds up, and it slows down the pacing of the film, as Arthur mentioned. But, I, again, I do like all the characters. I love The Undertaker and The Tavern Owner uh, are both great. Uh, I like the, um, again, unfortunately, both due to the fact that we're not Japanese speakers, and also, uh, you know, names are hard. So some of these names we remember and don't want to try to pronounce. Uh, some of them we just don't know. Uh, but the wife of uh, the... Um, the gangster, the, there's the gangsters that are brothers and the gangsters that's a, a, that's a, a husband and wife and, right. and their son. She's great. I mean, yeah, she's, she's fantastic. Bad. She is, she is a, a villainous character if ever there was one. And I like that she kind of runs that household uh, in a very Lady Macbeth, you know, feudal power plays role. Uh, I love the, the son who is just completely worthless and, both of the parents don't really seem to care if he dies. Uh, it, again, all the villains are appropriately villainous. The sympathetic characters are sympathetic. The hero is funny. Uh, and I will say that I, I'm with Arthur. I think it's hilarious. And I think you see the blueprint uh, of this film and of this character type executed so many times throughout cinema. And we'll probably talk a lot about that this episode, this archetype of the, the wandering badass. But he's not usually this funny. Sanjuro is hilarious. Like he, he's just doing goofs all the time. And there's something, even the man with no name, as Clint Eastwood plays him, he's wry. But he's not. He's not this funny. He, he, he's more um, sarcastic than ap- outright kind of silly. That's what I was gonna say. I, I do appreciate that here more than than in Fistful. I, I do like that comedic overtone. Yeah. And, and you know, Mifune's character himself is a lot more kind of mischievous mm-hmm. uh, than it really feels like. Uh, There's an uh, impish, yeah. to yeah. it. Yeah. And uh, they, they both kind of strike me. Arthur, you mentioned Clint Eastwood and, and them as like figures. Uh, you're right. He's impish, whereas Clint Eastwood kind of feels like an avenging angel. So it, yeah. it becomes... It, it's a similar character, but they're modulated in different ways. And I, I, I'm with There's you. There's some I, tonal differences exactly. that really do help this the the film set, stand apart. I agree, and I think I prefer the Sanjuro a little bit as much as I like Clint Eastwood's performance. I I like it more by the time it gets to Good, the Bad, and the Ugly than I do in Fistful of Dollars. Uh, whereas uh, Tashiro Mifune just like he knows the character already. Like, whereas I feel like it took Clint Eastwood you know a couple of go arounds to kind of get in the groove. Uh, and again, I Mifune's great. I mean, he, I think it just speaks to his talent, uh, why Hollywood kept trying. Uh, I don't know if you know this. Did you know Hollywood tried to get uh, Mifune to be uh, Ken Watanabe before Ken Watanabe? I think I knew vaguely some of that. They that, tried that to. Tora, Tora, Tora stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. And then, well, even 1942, Steven Spielberg uh, got Mifune oh, yeah. on that. So uh, Hollywood courted him several times. And I don't, I don't, I don't think he, I don't know if he didn't have any interest because uh, I think he got dubbed over on 1942 Ooh. or Tora, Tora, and he did not like that. And he was like, no, I speak, my English is fine, you fucking idiots. So he just didn't work in Hollywood, mm. um, I, I think. I, I might be misremembering some of the story beats. But I just think it's interesting uh, that, you know, Ken Watanabe, we think of as this big crossover from Japanese filmmaking into American films and uh, even English. So English language films kind of across different uh, production areas. But I, I love the idea that Mifune was like, no, I'm good. I like working with. I don't got to play. I like working with these other people. He was in um, the Shogun uh, TV uh, movie. Miniseries. I know about this. Yeah. I, I've never seen it. Have you? I have seen part of it. I've read the book. The book's like 
gigantic, it's right? It's monstrous big. It's yeah. fun. So I've heard. Uh, but anyway, I, I do like it. Uh, I think I'm, I'm a little less uh, loving than you are, Dustin, but I, I'm maybe a little warmer than Arthur. But I think Arthur, I tend to agree with uh, his criticisms on, on the pacing, for sure. Uh, beautiful score, as you mentioned, though. Great cinematography. Uh, a, a fun film, if nothing else. I will say that. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, there you go, dear listener. Those are our biases. We're generally on the pro side of the needle, but we're not a long ways um, past middle ground there for you, so you know where we're coming from in this conversation, and we'd like for you to be part of this conversation as well. And you do that via social media. Dalton, do that thing. I will do the thing, Dustin, where I tell people how they can get in touch with us. You don't need to pit Dustin and Arthur and I against one another. You, you don't we have to. We do it to. ourselves. Exactly. You don't have to come into our beautiful family and mix things up and try to initiate a power play you can just get in touch with us on the internet it's very easy uh, we're on twitter at good underscore trash uh, a fun place to see everything we're up to at the good trash media network so that's not just uh, info on good trash genre cast which you're listening to at this very moment uh, that's everything we're up to whether it's written content over at good trash uh it's other uh podcasts such as the praise down with heath and alex uh it's uh video series from dustin and his brood uh, which uh, I look forward to more of. Uh, yeah, how's that's that coming going? up quick. We're, we're yeah. working on some stuff over Christmas break. So uh, yeah, I heard you mention that. We're, we're doing it in seasons. I think it's going to have to happen in like blocks. That makes sense. Uh, look, kids, mm-hmm. kids, Life. kids got stuff going on. Yeah, and so does dad. Well, yeah, but you're less important. That's true. I, I'm finding that more and more the case. Yeah, that's the choice you made. I, you know, hmm. But sometimes, Dustin, sometimes your choices make you. Well, that's fair. Uh, well, if you want to see the kinds of choices Dustin's making on his own without his children, he's also got his uh, Borgo Cast content. Yes, and there's a lot of that in the can, about to start dropping. I'm very excited about that. So again, for all that and more, you can head over to at good underscore trash. If you want to avoid Twitter, I can't fucking say that I blame you. It's a nightmare. Uh, you can just send us an email, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail dot com. If you want to get in touch and send us some long form feedback without having to worry about. Uh, what nightmares are brewing over on Twitter. Uh, if you want to make us watch something, again, don't insert yourself into our lives. Don't catfish us. You can just go over to patreon.com forward slash GTM, throw a couple of dollars in our coffers, and uh, for that low, low price, you get access to bonus content for a little bit more money. Uh, you can pick movies for us. For even more money, we'll send you a movie. It's fun. Uh, last but certainly not least, uh, hug somebody. Be nice to someone, uh, and then maybe gently whisper in their ear uh, about the show. Uh, that would be good. You know, you don't have to do that. The hug is really the thing that you should do. But if you want to, you know, if you want, if you want to make the hug awkward, yeah, whisper the name of our podcast. Yeah, just throw us a little promo love and every uh, emotional exchange you have. That would be great. Oh, and uh, if you're filling out your bingo card, uh, subscribe, 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 rate, review. You know the deal. Excellent. Thank you very much for that. I believe now it's time to play the game. It might feel good. It might sound a little something, but damn the game if it don't mean nothing. What is game? Who got game? Where's the game in life? Behind the game, behind the game. I got game. She's got game. We got game. This week's game is Genre Relocation. That's right. Genre Relocation. Brought to you by Yo Jimbo. Yo Jimbo. This is a movie based on a prohibition thing. And then they made a movie that's a western set in Arizona based on this. And then they made a movie set in Texas during prohibition based on this. It's a real weird Ouroboros of gunslinging. So what you can do with a genre is that you can take a genre story and then you can put it in another genre. And that sometimes is very fun. And so we're going to pick our favorite ones of those. I go to you first, Arthur. What is number first from you? Yes, sir. You. 
I am going to mention Brian De Palma's Scarface. Do uh, it as my kickoff point. You know, this is a uh, 30s or 40s gangster pick, um, real classic. Ah, see, ah, kind of a uh, thing going on. Edward G. Robinson, very well done. Uh, thank you, thank you. Uh, and, and he uh, he takes it and he changes. It. He takes it from this kind of gangster movie and moves it to Miami and sets it against the. Uh, Pulls in a Cuban immigrant played by uh, Al Pacino uh, as the the lead there. Yes, proud Cuban American Al Pacino. <laughs> yes, Pacino, um, the the famous Pacino. Ah, uh, uh, yes, the Havana, the, the, the Havana, Havana Pacinos. Pacinos. Of course, how could I forget? How did you get a scar <laughs> like that eating pineapple? Um, One of the all time great TV. It edits. is. I love it. Uh, I had the DVD and they had like the TV edit, on it, <laughs> so it was a lot of fun to watch. Anyway, uh, but yeah, I mean, he kind of made this sprawling epic of a kind of seeking the American dream type of narrative in the eight, like right in the 80s. And so it's the height of yuppies and cocaine and discos dying and just snorting mounds of cocaine and going out in a blaze of glory. Uh, and, 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 you know, it's kind of become a cultural touchstone for a lot of uh, a lot of different people. And for a certain, you know, uh, hip hop, you know, kind of has that uh, background there, you know, that it ties uh, together. Uh, it's kind of a real cultural influence. But, uh, you know, it, it really kind of surpassed uh, the the legacy of the original, but it, it it's got those roots, and and I like uh, the way De Palma kind of plays with it and, and takes it. So that my my first pick is going to be Scarface. Scarface is a thing that unites nineteen uh, year old boys across ethnic lines, across social lines, because uh, really all eighteen year old nineteen year old boys want to do is snort cocaine and uh, play with guns. Yep, this is why you should and not get give. Women. First, you get the money. Yep. Then you get the women. Well, don't give any then of these the things power. to teenagers. Is my point. Don't, Those are the three codes yep. to live. Don't money. Don't give power, teenagers women. sex. Don't give them money. Don't give them drugs. Don't give them firearms. These are very important lessons. Yeah, they get them themselves. Moving. Yeah, on. exactly. <laughs> They'll figure it out. They don't need your help. <laughs> All right, Dalton. Well, what is your number uh, first pick yourself? My number first pick is actually let's get it out of the way. Fistful of dollars and Last Man Standing. Very uh, good. Last Man Standing, uh, a lesser known Walter Hill movie. Uh, I actually saw Last Man Standing before Fistful of Dollars or Yojimbo because it was from the 90s. Of course I saw that one first. Uh, they all follow the exact same plot lines. They all involve a uh, brief spoiler alert coming up for you. Uh, this uh, wanderer who plays gangsters against each other finally gets caught, gets kidnapped and beaten, and then takes bloody vengeance on the whole town. It is the exact same story in all three versions. And they're all fun. They all have different things going on for them. One's got Shira Mifune. One's got Clint Eastwood. One's got Bruce Willis. It's three generations of badass. Uh, get into it. And I think it just shows the malleability of storytell stories about uh, these wandering uh, ronins. Uh, and I think feudal Japan has the benefit of having a historically documented time where you had these guys rolling around. The myth of the, the lone wandering gunslinger, I don't know if it was ever true. Uh, we know they're a ronin. Uh, we don't know if the wandering Ronin who solved problems is actually true, but uh, they've got a little bit more going for him, at least in that regard, historically speaking. But uh, I, I don't know. I think it's fun, and I think throughout action movies, uh, throughout stories of heroes and bloodshed, you have this archetype coming up, and I think seeing all three of these settings be interchanged throughout locations and time periods is is a really fun exercise. So those are my first picks. Excellent. I like that very, very much. My first selection is going to be a, a little uh, jaunt from Ryan Johnson, and that is Brick, uh, where you take the film noir and you stick it in high school. And uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt kills it in that movie. And uh, it, it, what's crazy about the movie is it's not just like the sort of labyrinthine 
big sleep-esque kind of plot that you might cram into a high school movie. It's that they take all the 30s jargon and they stick it in the mouths of these teenagers. And it works so much better than it has any right to. It's it's really kind of ridiculous how awesome it is. And so I like that a lot, and that is my number first pick. What is your number next pick, Mr. Arthur Gordon? Uh, my next pick is a movie we did, uh, I guess, early last year, and that is Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, which took this uh, Roger Corman just slapped together in a you know few weeks or you know it was a real quick turnaround on that movie, um, this just cheap B movie that he he put together and Frank Oz turned it into this kind of really fun really campy vague musical uh, which really ins- you know inspired a off Broadway show and. Uh, it's just really kind of had legs, you know, ever since then. And, you know, it follows a lot of the same plot beats, but he puts it that that musical puts a whole new element there. Uh, and, and it's really drastically different. It's a musical horror film, probably one of the earlier ones um, to really kind of play with that idea. And, and uh, it's just a lot of fun. You know, uh, we, we kind of talked about it, analyzed it, problematized it. Um, but it's still a lot of fun. It's still uh, really enjoyable, really catchy music, uh, some really great uh, comedic performances from Martin and, and Moranis. Uh, and, and so it's uh, doing some really cool stuff, and that's one I really appreciate. And I was glad we got to talk about that last year. Excellent, excellent. I like that very much. What is your number next pick, Mr. Dalton Stewart? My next pick is the aforementioned 10 Things I Hate About You. Yes. Uh, a, a retelling of The Taming of the Shrew uh, by old Bill Shakes uh, in a high school. It turns out high schools are a great place to set stories. It really, they are. It kind of works out really well. Uh, high school, it turns out, is a metaphor for the rest of life. It is unfortunate, but it is true. Uh, just fun. Everybody's great in it. Julie Stiles is great in it. Just Gordon Levitt already mentioned. Great in it. Heath Ledger's great in it. It's a fucking lights out cast from top to bottom. It's full of, oh, hey, you're going to say it all the time watching it uh, almost 20 years out. Good that can't be right. It's true. Oh, my God. Yep, 2001, I think, 2002. I thought it was earlier than that. I God, it's it, a 90s movie. It 90, oh, my God. Well, I mean, Clueless is 93. My uh, creeping uh, mortality notwithstanding, it holds up. Uh, yes. I've seen it recently. It's great. Uh, it's it's the reason that people my age know about that uh, song. Um, you know the song. And the, from the football field. Oh, yeah. You yeah. know the song. We're not going to sing. Janie's got it. Yeah, that one. That one. <laughs> <laughs> it's that, yes. Uh, it was 99, so 20 years this year. God. What? Make you feel nice and old like Wow. Mops. Holy shit. That's insane. That can't be right. Anyway, I know, uh. it's, I know it's correct. It's just a lot to take in. Uh, but that is, look, this is not the only uh, Shakespeare movie set in high school. It's probably the best one, though. Uh, not the least of which uh, because of uh, a stellar late 90s cast. So that is my number two pick, my number second pick. That's how you do it. My number number second pick, my number next pick. Thanks, Dustin. I always forget how you do it because it's so fucking confounding. It's always the same. It's 10 Things I Hate About You. Excellent, excellent. So my number next pick is um, a a failure. I think it's not good, but I think it's interesting in what they're doing. Okay. And so it's a movie from 1964 called The Outrage starring Paul Newman, Mm -hmm. which is a Western remake of Rashomon. And the four retellings of all of those, but it's stories. not good. It's it's not great. It, oh. it, I mean, they're, they're it, it doesn't manage to quite work. 
However, that being said, I think it's worth seeing. Okay. Because it's a Western. It, it, it sort of ties into our current marathon. And so I think what we're doing right now, it makes it an important recommend. So I'm not saying it's going to blow your socks off or anything like that. But I am going to say if you've seen Rashomon and you turn around and you watch this thing, you're going to go – Okay, so this is how you do that thing that we're sort of talking about and celebrating, but we can also kind of miss it, and we can miss it by saying, oh, well, we're just going to move over some trappings, and we're not really going to translate anything else. We're just going to change the costumes and the setting, and that's where it all sort of falls very, very short. And uh, so that's my number next recommend, The Outrage, starring the great Paul Newman. Number last from you, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what say you? Man, I'm going back and forth on a couple different movies here, because I don't know if I'm going to steal one from you, and I don't want to do that. So I think I'm going to go with my original pick, and that is Assault on Precinct 13, uh, which is a heavy lift from Rio Bravo. Yes. That's Hawks, I believe, not Ford. It is Hawks. Uh, John Wayne and Dean Martin. uh, What's that? Ricky... Can't think of his name. Ricky Martin. Ricky. Ricky. <laughs> yes, Ricky Martin. No. <sighs> Ricky Nelson. Ricky Nelson, that's it. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, it's it's Ricky Martin <laughs> in my head cannon now. Too late. It is La Vida Loca. He's uh, living La Vida Loca in Rio Bravo. <laughs> God, if only. It's a much different movie. <laughs> anyway. Um, but yeah, this this siege film that kind of definitely, you know, Carpenter is definitely another director heavily influenced by those westerns and Ford and Hawks. Um, and, and it is this kind of classic siege film. It's very Wild West. Um, and, and we even got the kind of um, outlaw with the heart of gold that kind of John Wayne sets up in, in Stagecoach. We talked about it last week. You know, um, he is an outlaw, but he's he knows when to do the right thing, uh, partially because it's going to help him. Um, but also, he's not that bad of a guy. Uh, and it's a movie, you know, we talked about a long time on this show. Uh, and I finally got around to it because I didn't watch it for that episode. Um a long, long time ago, Arthur. 298 episodes ago, in fact. Right. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm just making Dalton feel as old as I can right now. Um, Dustin's kind of past the point of caring about being old. Um, Where are my teeth? You guys yeah. had moderately fully formed personalities when we started doing the show. Uh, I was 22. Uh, and people have recently been asking. That means we were old, is what he's saying. That is, that what, is what he's saying. Arthur, you were as old as I am now when we started doing this. I think you might have been younger than I am now, in fact. Yeah. It was 12, 2012, I don't know. That's, you know, I was 20. No, 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 no. Math on I was 24, there. 25, I guess. Damn, okay, never mind. Arthur wasn't fully formed yet either. Dustin probably was, though. My point is, I was a dumb idiot with dumb opinions. Correct. That, that's really all. I, I was 26, I, I guess. Shit, nope, still older than Arthur was when we started. <laughs> Man. <laughs> I don't know, time is a construct. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry, we got off on a tangent there. Completely off. Guard. One um, of these days, I'll figure out how to host a podcast. But yeah, I, I really enjoy uh, Assault on Precinct 13. It's a lot of fun, a lot of high action, uh, and it you know it, it does a good job of kind of moving into this urban area and and updating it and feeling a little bit like a zombie movie, which Dustin pointed out in his analysis on that that episode. Uh, but also, it, it's got all of those ties back into the western, into the you know 20s and the 30s and, and things that were happening then. And so it's a nice kind of legacy type of thing while also putting a new spin and a new flair to it to kind of uh, help influence and inspire uh, future filmmakers. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you for your number last pick? My number last pick is kind of like the outrage, uh, based on Dustin's description. Not entirely successful, but it was one of the first things that came to mind and is also a movie we talked about on this show. It's Lockout, starring Guy Pearce, uh, yeah. which is hey, just yeah, yeah. Escape from New York and Outer Space. 
which honestly, it probably that there's works. N- there's no way there was not a point when this script was uh, an escape from space, right? Escape from space jail. Like this had to be at some point in its genesis a spec script for a third Escape from New York movie. It could have been. I, the, I see how you're, what you're saying. It's definitely possible. It's, it's, it's Luke Besson, though, right? It's Luke Besson, though. So yeah. you're right. Maybe it's not so much. Uh, again, not entirely successful. It is just that archetype. It is just those same story beats put in outer space. Uh, already, Escape from New York has a, a near future thing going for it. So this is just taking that to the next logical conclusion. But it's just a ton of fun. Uh, and it was the first thing that I thought of. And I, I think maybe it's because Guy Pierce is the action hero in this that it feels a little bit more like a genre transposition uh, than it would if it was, you know, a, a actor more known for action. But for whatever reason, that makes it feel a little bit like it's doing a thing, if that makes sense. It's not just die hard uh, on a boat uh, as Under Siege is. It's got something a little bit extra going on for me that I really like. And Guy Pierce is a ton of fun in that movie. Uh, it has uh, been a much, as, almost as long as it's been since we talked about Assault on Precinct 13. It's been a long time since we talked about Lockout on the show. Yeah. But I remember liking it, and I'm going to yeah, go ahead and stick to my it. It's a fun yeah. movie. I'm going to stick to my guns on that and say Lockout is my number last pick. My number last pick is a move into science fiction, another Kurosawa move, and that is the obvious pick. The Hidden Fortress moves to Star Wars Episode Four. You have the two fools who are guiding a princess to a hidden super fortress that is the uh, keep of the enemy. It's the Death Star. Um, mix in all those Western elements that are so influential in Kurosawa, and you've got Han Solo and, uh, and Tatooine and its desert and its cantinas and all of that good stuff. It is the successful adaptation of a Kurosawa movie into American filmmaking. I am leaving out Fistful of Dollars because that's an Italian film. Um, so it's also successful, but it's not an American movie. I don't care if an American's in it or not. Uh, but yeah, so I think the, the Ur example of this is Star Wars moving the Hidden Fortress, which honestly is a hard movie to watch. Uh, you talk about the slow pacing of uh, Yojimbo. I have difficulty getting through a, the Hidden Fortress. Good to know. Uh, so, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's good, but... I tried one time, and it is it's slow to go. Star Wars is better, and um, I'm I'm okay with saying that. So there I'm, you go. I'm very proud of you. That I mean, that was must have been difficult. That, not really. I mean, better's better. All right, fair enough. So um, kills his darlings on on the reg. He yeah. just he just likes to keep us on our toes. He doesn't let want us to think we've got him figured out. I am I am full of mysteries. That's what I am. So there you go, dear listener. Those are our thoughts on favorite cinematic relocations. We'd love to hear your genre relo- relocations. I guess we should say. Um, we'd love to hear yours via those magical means of social media already mentioned at the top of the show. So do that via social media, and we're gonna now get down to business. Yes, business. And that business is, as always, analysis. We're going to bring you that sweet, sweet analysis right now, and we are going to change your world. Um, first thing I want to talk about. You. Uh, what's that? Nothing. Continue. Me changing your world? Keep going. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say you periodically. <laughs> just make. But you're fine. Just, Keep going. Just make everything awkward. <laughs> Not only am I old, now I'm a dirty old man. See? Oh, well, we knew that. Oh, man. Make me sad. Um, so here's the thing. Kira Kurosawa, 
right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Samurai movies. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, the sort of way in which we curate films, we 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 sort of bracket them and group them. We do auteur stuff, and we put all the Kurosawa together. We put all the Hitchcock together, the Howard Hawks, the Orson Welles, or whatever it is. You know, your John Lucadards, and we we organize it in that way. Another way in which we organize films, we organize them by genre. But a third way that we don't talk about nearly as much on the show because it's sort of outside of our purview as the good trash genre cast is the art house cinema which is a huge moment in the 1950s the 1960s leading up into the 1970s in which you've got your Antonioni films your Godard films you've got your Kurosawa you've got your Ingmar not Ingrid Ingmar Bergman um, your Bergman they're all called Bergman in Sweden I didn't know if you knew that or not they're all they're all related and they're all called Bergman check out um, <clears throat> they're all called story. Birdman they all have too many vowels. Yes, also. And they that. all go through life with one take. Yes. Uh, Tight aspect ratios, too, on them. Very, very. Harvey Birdman. <laughs> Attorney at law. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but, so here's the thing that happens, though. It, it is the way in which we do those curations. Uh, again, sometimes you've got like outliers within an auteur's oeuvre, oeuvre because of studio intervention or because of additional work from another director or screenwriter or an actor sort of auteurship comes into it. You've got stuff that where genre bleeds from one place to another, and those are all sort of malleable things. But I want to talk about the malleability just a little bit of art house cinema because art house cinema is, to an extent, defined by those movies which were shown to specifically Cenophile audiences usually shown in ah these... yes the worst kind of people yes very bad people we don't like them um even though we are them and wear their pants um and they are all I was waiting for an ooh I was giving you a setup uh, for an ooh right there ew there well done and uh, it doesn't work as well when he's I he's not just going to give you an ooh you have to earn your ooh I thought I earned that one. I was on to a whole different thing about how we have to see the things in ourselves that we hate I was uh, purely uh, I was really curious why Dalton's going to be giving you a bunch of sheep at the end of the night use or ooze use 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 damn it you beat me to it these tree utes um Anyway, we're talking about art house, art film house film or something. I don't know. I got bored when you started saying uh, foreign names. <laughs> it's on brand. I'm, I'm in life with. Well, children. the art house is something I'm always, you know, it's it's become almost a defining thing. You know, you talk about the roots and showing. You know, just it was like a discotheque. You know, it's just a place you go to watch these kind of films you really didn't have access to, especially if you were of a certain ilk uh, of movie watcher, or the uh, internet wasn't around yet. Yeah, the internet right. wasn't around. And uh, you find your nice little art house, and you'd, you'd watch your Italians. And your... So, so I guess the first question I have is: Can we, for the audience, just give them an idea of what is the aesthetic of the art house cinema? That's fair because I think it's very easy to see subtitles and go art house, which right. is not the case. Uh, and you're right; I, I think we do avoid a lot of uh, international cinema on this show because it kind of inherently lends a sheen of art to it just because it's less accessible than something in your your own language but you know subtitles do not an art film make it's correct it's, there's more to it than that it's it's frequently non-linear it's uh frequently uh transgressive uh, i i would say i think non-linear or at the very least a lack of narrative being important uh holy mountain's a good go-to for mm-hmm. feature length art film i think the the Jodorowsky film, and they tend to be really self reflexive. Like they, they, what they say in the uh, uh, film theory parlance, they bear the device of the cinema, right? So you, you are watching a movie, right. you fool. Yeah, 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 which is a, mo- a moment in uh, the Holy Mountain. Yeah, and it, I mean it happens in Godard, it happens in Tonioni, and those... yeah, it's it's films made by psychos, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean a little bit. I, 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 no, what... a lot of bit. It's fi- it's films made by p- 
people who didn't go full Manson, but yes. very much could have. And very philosophical, like your Bergmans, you know, sort of wrestling with some of the deep existential issues yeah. okay. of life. Well, and guys who could have become priests. Right, right. Well, there's a lot of that. Well, yeah, it's, on Bergman. It's guys who would have become cult leaders, bad priests, or good priests. That's right. who makes art movies. And and uh, yeah, I think I think you're right on. Uh, yeah, I know I'm doing. I know it sounds like I'm doing a goof, but I'm kind of I think trying to say something that I mean. That's the aesthetic of again this sort of cinematech, uh, uh, art house, museum, theater kind of filmmaking and and you know they they sort of glom onto those things of course the contemporary uh sort of uh iteration of that is the criterion collection uh millennium is another uh, great film distributor that does mm-hmm. kino kino does uh, similar kinds of things but here is the thing that i find interesting i don't think yojimbo's an art house movie at all no no it's not it's i a, totally agree with that and tell me why not it's a genre piece. I mean, it is, you know, as we say, it's kind of a Western. I mean, it's got a very straightforward narrative. It's very, I don't, I don't feel like it's, you know, doing that meta thing. I don't feel like it's doing, you know, the kind of existential crises thing. It's a kind of straightforward good guys, bad guy. You know, we've got a, a main character who's just out for his own wealth, really. I mean, he's just out goofing around trying to make, you know, the, 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 the summaries all kind of sell this as he's trying to make peace in the town, but he's not. He's, he's there for his own gain. Um, you know, there's a couple moments where he's like, oh, not, there's something where he says, uh, he's kind of disappointed because he doesn't think they're actually going to fight or something like that. Yeah. Uh, because he's like, crap, I missed my chance. Um, yeah. He, he's, and, he's just there to, to make him fight. And, and even stylistically, I mean, you know, it's shot beautifully, but I, I, there's no real stylistic flourishes that I've noticed. It's not where, showy. Yeah. I mean, there's not, you don't have the long takes of, you know, whatever happening. And even the lens flare that, you know, uh, he's kind of known for. I don't, I don't really remember catching that very often. Yeah, even the fights aren't showy. No, everything's real simplistic. I mean, it's a very well pieced together film, but it doesn't feel like it's trying to do anything larger or grander than you know. I, I think, especially in comparison to Rashomon, which is really the only other talking point I have, which is very nonlinear. We're going back and forth, and we are questioning, you know, these different perspectives and what is truth and what is real and what is you know fiction and what's not fiction, um, which I think you can kind of pull out and apply that to cinema itself or you can do you know whatever but here it's just very grounded and it's just a very straightforward kind of story i mean that's what yeah. it is much like stagecoach arthur i agree with you much like stagecoach it it's anti-trash because it got there first right it's it's not art house it's not anti-trash because it's art it's anti-trash because it's important mm-hmm. and that's yeah. i think that's a distinction to make we're going to talk about um some other films later in this uh well we'll just say we're going to talk about uh butch cassidy and the, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs uh, for Anti-Trash. Since we're going to make you wait a week for your cowboy fix uh, next episode, let's just tell you what we're going to do to finish out this marathon now. And I think those films are different. You know, Butch Cassidy kind of is anti-trash because it's part of this new Hollywood 70s independent filmmaking, art house filmmaking moving into the mainstream. And then Buster Scruggs is an active, like, hi, we're, we're auteurs, the Coen brothers, here to talk to you about westerns and death. So they're, they're much more intentionally, like, we're about something. Jimbo's just about cutting some dudes up, man. That's mm. all it's about. But it was the first movie about this guy who was going to play tricks on people to get them to cut each other up before he did the final cuts. Uh, yeah, it's it's nothing spectacular by design. I, I think Kurosawa's intending to set forward to make a pretty straightforward action movie. And, and there's this weird sort of prejudice that sort of makes it fit that category then. And we've already sort of nailed part of it. it is, it's international flavor. So because it's subtitled. Also because it's from 1960 and it happens to be black and white. It'll, I, if this was a Technicolor film, 
which they were shooting some films in Technicolor at Toho in 1960. Mm-hmm. Uh, if this were a Technicolor film, I don't think it would have the same cachet. I think it would, and I only say that because I feel like Fistful of Dollars has quite a bit of cachet, and it is a Technicolor. It doesn't have as much t- uh, cachet, mm-hmm. but I think that's because you're Jimbo's first. I don't right. think it's because you're Jimbo's black and white or in, a, or in Japanese. Uh, I, I think it has more to do with being first than anything else. I guess what or I, hard hard to find for longer, maybe. What I was, I, I guess, I was sort of trying to needle out a little bit here is the uh, idea of inaccessibility in, okay. in modern sensibilities, gotcha. and, and and then black and white becomes a a, a, a gatekeeper for accessibility. Yeah, that people just simply say, "Black, I'm not sure I'm going to watch this movie because black and white. I, yeah. I'm, I will be bored because I, I need color apparently yeah. to be entertained." The same with talkies. Yeah, yeah. Well, or, I think, and I think the other thing about it, you know, is you've already mentioned it once, but I mean, this is a Criterion release. I mm-hmm. mean, that's that itself. It's almost like a twenty-four. I mean, Criterion carries a reputation. I mean, if you sit down and look at the Criterion collection, there's a lot of genre stock on there. I mean, they're not necessarily about preserving art house cinema; they're about preserving movies. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, part of it is just a distribution game. You well, know? you buy rights by director from a production company. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's literally Kevin Smith figured that out and intentionally made, yeah, yeah, Chasing Amy hard to find so Criterion would pick it up. Yeah. It was a gamble. But, I mean, if you look at I mean, where they're coming from in the early 90s on Laserdisc, I mean, you got Blade Runner. You've got all these other kind of movies. And, you know, they're, they're, the really thing they're doing is... It, it wasn't so much about art house. It was about kind of supplementing. You know, we start getting commentary tracks and we start getting special features, and, and that's really kind of where that is. But it's about making it easier for studios to be like, okay, we'll re-release the movie yeah. since we're not going to have to drop a bunch of money if you're going to help pay for it. But I think they've kind of earned this reputation as being art house curators. Yeah. Mainly, um, they they do uh, as an American company. They do primarily specialize, I think, in international cinema and getting that to an American audience. Which lends itself to this thought that these in all these international movies that Criterion releases must be some sort of art house. But there's a lot of genre schlock in there. If you look at some of the stuff that they've done, Robin Crusoe goes to Mars. You know, the, the right. when horror came to, uh, I can't think of that set uh, that they did. Uh-huh. Uh, one of the Asian cinemas, though, when horror came to the studio, I can't think of what it's called that they did for their uh, Eclipse series. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it's got like the uh, the invisible skeleton and all that yeah, stuff on like it. That. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. And so, you know, I don't, you know, I think so. I think. That for a modern art audience, you know, us looking at, you know, Yojimbo, we, our access to Yojimbo is through a company like the Criterion, which has this reputation, which I think kind of there's a, a blended relationship there that uh, the, 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 the uh, reputation that Criterion has kind of latches on to Yojimbo. Uh, but if you kind of look at this, you know, 1960s, it's just another genre piece. Art is what people who get to, uh, who've put themselves in a position to say this is art. It's what they say is art at a certain point. Well, and there's another factor that I, I want to discuss, and this will be the last sort of industrial meta bit of conversation before we get into the bones of Yojimbo itself. Um, it, it, it's the idea that there's a certain um, – uh, there's a way in which it becomes a status symbol to own a Criterion version of a film. There, yeah. There's a way in which uh, Criterion becomes the sort of seal itself of quality. It becomes a weird flex. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It does exactly that. There, there. An example I want to give is uh, Shirley Clark, an experimental filmmaker from the 1960s, has a great movie called Portrait of Jason, uh, where this uh, homosexual African American man um, they get him drunk over the course of about eight hours. And they just have him tell stories about himself and his life as he gets drunker and drunker and drunker. And it, it is a painful and powerful and really, really fantastic film. Uh, anyway, Millennium. Uh, did, initially... did he know they were making a movie about him? Yes, I mean, he agreed okay. to it. I was just making sure everybody's yeah, yeah. on the same page. Yeah, it's not a, I mean, it's exploitative, but he was he signed up for it. 
Uh, oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Like The Bachelor. Uh, cool. Okay. Uh, anyway, it's, it's that's art. Yeah. It, sure. Cool. It's, it's it's a fast. Sure, Shirley Jackson. Uh, Shirley Clark. That's right. Shirley Jackson's <laughs> Shirley. House on Haunted Hill. My bad. <laughs> sure, Shirley Clark. Whatever you say. It, it's a really fascinating film. Yeah, no, uh, I, I, the, 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 it's a thin line. The, oh, it, it is, it is. And again, you, you're supposed to be uncomfortable, and I think you're supposed to be un, or comfortable with your discomfort, or however that you know you untie that pretzel. But Millennium, uh, another one of these sort of smaller experimental art house kind of production companies, releases the film in 2000, and I want to say 15, 14, mm-hmm. somewhere right along in there. And so it's great moment, and everybody's really excited. But you look down in the comments section, and I've got the Millennium version of it. And you look down the comments section, and people say, oh, this movie's been missing for so long, we haven't had access to it, it haven't been available, but I'm waiting until it comes out on Criterion. Mm. And that is, I think, really sort of telling mm-hmm. as to that even though you know all these Kurosawa films get bought, and if it, it, again, there are other ways in which uh, there could be other editions of these films that might come out. And actually, I have the Janus films release of uh, Yojimbo. Well, not Yojimbo, uh, Hidden Fortress, a couple of the Kurosawa films. And, of course, Janus ends up getting purchased by um, Criterion Wholesale later. But um, there's a way in which these other smaller little companies, they don't carry the same sort of name brand sticker recognition status. And it creates this sort of weird culture in film collection, film cinephilia. I'm I'm not sure what I'm trying to say. Arthur mentioned this. It's the same. It is very similar to the A24 thing. We've talked about our, uh, I I would say at this point, uh, very biased love of A24. We want to see them do well because we like what they make. Mm -hmm. But at a certain point, uh, us feeling like uh, we have good taste uh, gets mixed up with A24 and uh, that that zipper gets a little stuck. And I think it's the same thing with Criterion. It's just, you know, home media releases versus theatrical distribution. And I, I, I mean, let's not, you know, throw it out. I mean, there are certain circles within, you know, cinephilia, uh, where <laughs> it sounds so gross. I mean, there are a lot of those kind of elitist, you know, mm-hmm. rings and circles where, you know, oh, you haven't seen Bergman, you must not be a real film fan. Or if you haven't seen, you know, yada, 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 I mean, a lot of movies, uh, and, and mm-hmm. there's a real way. I mean, like any gatekeeper in any fandom or any culture, there's a real way that certain groups can make people feel uh, less than and real self-conscious about their, their habits. I mean, I watched a lot of movies last year. I'm sorry if I didn't get caught up on the films of Ingmar Bergman and, you know, Antonioni or whatever. Here's what I would recommend. If ever a gatekeeper is making you feel bad about yourself, whether it's film or comic books or metal records... Make shit up. Mm-hmm. Just make something up. Dustin so, taught me an important lesson a long time ago. And it's just a simple little phrase uh, that's always kind of helped me deal with the inadequacy of movies, but there are a lot of movies. That's what you say. Yeah. Or make something up. Oh, you but haven't seen. There's there a, a lot, lot of movies. There's a lot of movies, man. I also watch television. I also read. Like, yeah. I'm I got, sorry. I've got dogs, dude, Like, or whatever. There yeah. are hours in a day, and I only have so many of I them. I got to go to work at some point. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and you know what? Your tastes are your tastes. And if people aren't paying you to watch movies, you kind of watch the shit that you'd like to watch. And eventually you just decide, I'm probably never going get to get caught up with Ingmar Bergman because I want to learn about, uh, you know, this new filmmaker that's coming out. Now, I will say this. Um, Criterion did eventually pick up Portrait of Jason. It was available on Filmstruck at the end of mm-hmm. its you know little run there. And I expect it to be back whenever Criterion comes back in March. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, what I what what makes me nervous and this is sort of my final sort of comment 
is that if we, again, give all of the value, we give all of that gatekeeping authority to a distribution company like that, that is how canon formation becomes outside of the realm of scholarship, outside the realm of real fans or of critics, and becomes something solely within the province of those who are distributing and selling these films. It becomes a commercial canonization. Dollars. And that is deeply troubling. And yeah. I think Ojimbo's great, and I think it's it you know as far as canonicity, yeah, I mean it belongs somewhere in that mix of movies that people ought to see or whatever. I mean we'll have that conversation later. But that being said, just because it's Criterion though, doesn't mean it's there. Because honestly, in a Criterion collection, if we're going to say it's art house cinema, then it doesn't belong there. And that's really what I came down to because it is right, yeah. just a genre movie, and the genre that it belongs to is. I mean, it's samurais in that it's in Japan, and it involves swords and samurais, but it's a Western. And so let's talk genre theory. We talked about what makes a Western a Western. Tell me, why is Yojimbo a Western before Clint Eastwood? Well, I think a lot of it comes down to setting. It still feels very frontiersy. It feels very much similar to the kind of stories we're seeing in the Western, where we're going to these small you know, put together towns, there's some gold rushes, there's been some movement west and we're trying to conquer it. And also I think because we're coming in on the on the hills of the Wanderer, who is that kind of lone wolf and I that's another kind of archetype very familiar to the Western where we have the lone gunslinger who's riding into town and I think that adds to that element as well. A sword slinger, but yeah. Yeah. I mean it's similar to uh the Arthurian stuff from uh, Europe happening in the Middle Ages, right? The difference being uh, with, you know, Western culture, there's this split between colonialism and feudalism uh, that allows for this new frontier that is the North America and allows all of these uh, untamed, quote-unquote, untamed land stories. With Japan, you just have a much longer feudal period, but maintaining that those rural areas, uh, you know, Japan's history being what it is, there's not a unification until there's, well, there's starts and stops with the unification of that, that island chain. So you have these big cities and rural areas happening simultaneously. You have people colonizing farmland and undeveloped woods at the same time that you have a feudal society going on. So it's, it's interesting that there is this mismatch of mixmash of both uh, frontiers, cowboy stories, and also knights and codes of honor, all happening at the same time and creating kind of a really interesting hero culture in some mm -hmm. ways. And there are three other aspects, I think, that are very, very telling us. The obvious one being just taverns and the use mm -hmm. of the saloon as is gathering place. A meeting place point, yeah. meeting point uh, that, uh, that Yojimbo uses, uh, or Yojimbo the movie, Senjiro the character uses. There's also this um, aspect of um, being mercenary, but mercenary with a set of values that values function like a sleeping bear, and if something will awaken those, the bear comes forward. And so in Yojimbo, the, the story is I saw a family in trouble like this and no one helped and you know the sort of implication is I'm the guy and I was the kid um, Toshiro Mifune sort of doing a, re, a repeat of the same line he gives in Seven Samurai when he rescues a child from the mill right and so there's that aspect to it. And the third aspect I think is interesting is the encroachment of new technologies. Mm. That in Westerns, that you have always the train coming, the telegraph coming, the Gatling gun. Well, and coming. that's the difference, right? Because in Westerns, you have the, the cowboys bringing the technology a lot of the times or trying to outrun the tech. In these stories of Japan in the 1800s, you have Europeans bringing new technology. Right. It's this 
a mix of colonization and feudalism again that's super interesting but it, i mean that's right and the character that has the pistol is yeah and it, presumably got this pistol from some americans or some europeans mm-hmm. and so that again lends itself to that and of course uh, more iconography stuff the long street the wide street showdown yeah. i mean that's high noon uh, tumbleweeds man tumbleweeds it's, yeah, with the leaves in this case but yeah. yeah it's the same idea and the wind even the cemetery is a very I, I think a lot about the western you know with the cemetery kind of right outside of town they're overlooking the city or boot whatever. hill kind of thing yeah, yeah. Uh, the casket maker who keeps saying i got caskets for y'all yeah. i mean yeah that's that's in the quick and the dead that's in yeah. fistful of dollars uh, it's in things that are not just a remake of yojimbo though. we're not going to really deal with this i don't think over the next couple of months but there is that idea of you know you see this in the multiple genres of noir or, or westerns but there's the idea of the neo whatever the neo western the neo noir where you have or the new western where you might have a more modern uh, setting uh, but you have those recognizable tropes and that iconography. Hell or which, High Water being a great example. Yeah, or yeah. Logan yeah. Uh, being another one from the last couple of years, uh, where we're playing with a lot of those types of tropes and that iconography and those character archetypes. Uh, and that's what kind of forms the genre in our mind, and the genre becomes kind of more abstract rather than concrete. And I really think that's kind of where uh, Yojimbo's playing because it's almost like a neo-Western in its own right, I think. I think it's very, very well put, Arthur, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so now here's the next question, or my, really my last question, and you guys, if you have additional ones, I would love to hear them as well. Um, because I think one of the most, uh, you know, sort of fertile bits of ground that we can mine in when we're talking about the Western is the depiction of and the expression of an ideal masculinity. Mm-hmm. And uh, do we find there to be any significant differences, or do we find it to be a pretty consistent bleed over from the American slash European examples that we find in the Western with the Shiro of Mifune's uh, Sanjuro? I don't know. I think Japan, uh, whether it's samurai movies or uh, contemporary anime, I-, I think Japan is less scared of their tough guys being dum-dums. Yes. Or, or silly, at the very least. What You know, if it's... Uh, um, I, Goku is the only example I can think of from Dragon Ball Z. Sure, uh, but there's other examples. He's I'm a just, dope, though. Yeah, I, and I'm a dope because that's the only example I can think of. But it's a good example. He's a big dum dum who just likes to eat and fight. Sanjuro just is kind of a silly guy who likes to just cause problems for people he thinks suck, uh, and he makes to makes to makes to like likes to make a lot of jokes while he's doing it. Um, I can't think of the character's name, but the the lead character in One Punch Man. It's just mm-hmm. like a very hapless kind of ding dong. I mean, and I, again, this this repeats itself throughout a lot of uh, Japanese stories that focus on uh, traditional ideals of masculinity. Uh, I I think they're less scared of taking apart these masculine archetypes, and I don't know where that comes from. Uh, but I think if you, whether it's all the way back in the '60s or even up to today, I think there's a consistent willingness. Uh, to take the piss out of tough guys that I don't know that we have. I mean, we've got it, but I don't think it's as consistent, I guess. Well, I I think there's also this sense of mastery that sort of, you know, overlaps both senses, right? That that you're always the quickest gun in the West or the quickest draw with the sword, you know, and the Aedo is great in this movie, by the by. Um, So badass. Oh, man. I mean, his drawing is, is, you know, and there's Aedo is a martial art based on basically drawing the sword and doing it all in the draw, uh, which is 
insane. Mifune's got the sword, dude. Yeah, he knows what he's, he knows what's up, and and so you've got that sort of mastery. You've got mastery in terms of his plotting and able to play back and forth against him. But differently, and I think this is a new sort of evolution when Kurosawa takes the Western in his hands, is the idea that my best laid plans may go terribly awry. That it's always interesting in narrative to have a character uh, go badly and then you know sort of have the you know the bottom of the pit, the valley of the shadow of death, or whatever, and then sort of work their way back out of it. It's cool when James Bond gets tortured. Right. Um, but that happens in the 60s yeah. um, with the Bond stuff. The westerns of the 50s and the westerns of the 40s, you really never get the good man down. The way you gotcha. get the good man down is you capture his lady. Yeah, you fridge somebody. You, you do something that's sort of outside of his control. It may be a factor that he hadn't considered. It may be someone he hadn't thought about. But it's never that you overpowered or overmatched him. Tashiro Mifune gets the stook beat out of him. Yeah. And is really um, only by the skin of his teeth and by just dumb luck is able to escape. And he hides out for several weeks. Yes. Yeah. And and so there, there's a way in which uh, they don't take that hero quite as seriously. Now, that mastery sort of rears its head again when he sort of makes his way back and there's no beating him now because mm-hmm. now you done made him mad and Rambo has tied the knot, right, on the headband. And so that's going to be the thing. But... For me, I think also it's got something of a hell is other people quality to it. Yeah. Right? The the uh, the gangsters in this town have created a destruction of their own making, right? They didn't have to hire uh, Sanjuro to do anything. They could have just left him alone, and their conflict probably never would have escalated. It probably would have just spiraled it itself out eventually. But by saying, ah, I have the secret weapon that will, will do the thing, you know, they've, they've sown the seeds for their own downfall. Uh, I just think that's very interesting, the, the way this story plays out. And again, it plays the same way in Fistful of Dollars and, and um, Last Man Standing. Uh, but there is something to this this tale that I think is very interesting, um, in particular, this depiction. I just I, I like the way he functions as this impish character who has no background, has no... He, in another story, he would be the villain. He's... he's I like a hero that's the villain of the bad guy story. You know what I mean? That isn't just against a villain, but is actively setting out to cause damage to a villain. I there's something interesting. It's it's a well, honestly, it's a little bit like Joaquin Phoenix from last year's. You were never really here. It's just not nearly as serious. But I like that quality of hell is other people. You have brought this upon yourself uh, to this story. Absolutely. Uh, the last sort of observation I was thinking about when I was watching this movie. And uh, that uh, Sanjuro, uh, the Yojimbo character, is um, the resource that both sides of this conflict want to acquire. And I just wondered if there was any sense that you guys got, or if I suggest this, that you get from it, that there is a way in which this film works as a metaphor for the Cold War. Well, I mean, I just just made the comment about the the weapon that will stop everything, right? Uh, I, I hadn't thought about it until you just said it uh, even when i was making that comment just a moment ago i didn't make that connection i think it's a reach mm-hmm. but i think it's there if you want to go for that reading i am not versed enough in this time period to uh comment on that i mean the, the, definitely this is 1960 bay of pigs is uh what a year away um missile crisis is a year and a half away uh at this point. about yeah 
but uh, the definitely that, it's getting hot. That that yeah, the Cold War is definitely heating up at this point, and so th- and there is a way in which by trying to align yourself with the weapon, it ends up destroying yourself. And I, I wonder if there's something of a of a metaphoric reading there uh, for the only nation making this film that happened to have had u- nuclear weapons used against them. Yeah, I'm um, sure you could put a conference paper together out of it. Uh, exactly, the reading's there, and I don't think anybody would run you out of the room for it. I, I mean, don't know. You're, if- you're probably holding a little more water than room 237, but yeah, I don't know. That the, Just yeah, barely more. I, exactly. I don't know that the film has it on its mind. Only if it has it on its mind, it's I think very much in a kind of. Uh, these are the sorts of stories Japan is telling right now because, because they are reckoning with a giant. Right they're reckoning with a giant violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, six years of war followed by you know a, a war crime uh, of epic proportions. Uh, yeah, you you tend to wrestle with that, mm-hmm. and so again, even if anything you make is going to be touched, but it's like, uh, well, it's like films being made right now. Uh, Support the girls from this year is very much about sexual harassment, but it doesn't. Say the words "me too" or any other uh, pop cultural buzzwords. Up, yeah, yeah. It's just this is what being a woman is like. Uh, this is what feudal societies are like. So mm-hmm. sometimes a thing is just a thing, but uh, a, a story is just a story. But it is irrevocably tied to everything going on around it. So whether it's explicitly about it or not is irrelevant because it's in the cultural morass at the time. Yeah. There we go. I knew I'd get there eventually. So uh, any other thoughts or questions on uh, Yojimbo, gentlemen? No, I'm good to go. Let's render a verdict then. Shell for trash. Elser instead. I go to you first, Dalton Stewart. What say you? Well, Dustin uh, trashed Stagecoach last week, and uh, we kind of talked a lot on off-air about it, and we've decided we we talk about this probably every 20 episodes. That This is it. Now we're going to be more strict. But, look, we're going into episode 300. Our shelf is getting overstuffed. I think Dustin's right. Now is the time to get pickier, get choosier. I got to say you trash Yojimbo. It's fine. Uh, But Rashomon's better. Seven Samurai's better. This story has been done before, and I think if you want to sample Akira Kurosawa, there's better places to start. If you want to look at a Western... I think you go to Fistful of Dollars instead of making the argument that Yojimbo's a Western, and then you just talk about samurai movies, you watch Yojimbo. I, I think the cross-pollination is interesting. I think it's worth talking about. I don't think Yojimbo's essential film watching, though. There's there's Kurosawa that is essential. I don't think this is one of them. So I'm going to say you trash it. Uh, what should you watch instead? Well, I think you should watch movies that are doing something similar instead. I don't know a lot of samurai films, unfortunately, other than the Kurosawa films I've already mentioned. You should watch those. But I, I like the idea of the mercenary with the code of ethics, so we're going to talk about some more of those. I'm going to mention Ryan Johnson's Brick, which Dustin mentioned earlier. Yes. Uh, the Joseph Gordon-Levitt character in that film is very much a mercenary detective at his high school. I'm going to mention uh, Keanu Reeves and the John Wick franchise. I think a great character... Uh, who has got a very similar Sanjuro man with no name thing going on. He is the boogeyman under the bed for, for the bad guys uh, and just wants to retire, but people keep pulling him back in. And, uh, yeah, it's great. And uh, last but not least, it's uh, Charlize Theron from uh, last year, year before last, it's Atomic Blonde, mm-hmm. uh, very much playing with that. Uh, it's James Bond if James Bond had a code of ethics separate from what the British government asked him to do. I think that's what's so fun about uh Shirley Theron's character in that is she is that mercenary with the code of ethics. She works for the government because they, you know, they give her airplane tickets and booze and guns. She doesn't really care what they want. She's going to do whatever she feels like is the right thing to do. And I, I think all three of those characters and uh, all three of those stories are fun evolutions of this Sandro character that we get in Yojimbo. So I'd say watch those instead because they're flashier and more fun, honestly. Go watch other Kurosawa if you want to experience what uh, that cinema's got going on for it. 
I say you trash a Jimbo. All right. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalster. What do you say, Arthur Gordon? Show for trash, else or instead? I, I, I'm going to agree with Dalton. I, I, I do want to softly put this in the trash, and, and it is just because it is it is just a genre film. And, and like Dalton said, I think if you know if we're talking essentials, you want to get into you know if you're trying to hit the highlights, I do think you go to Rashomon or Seven Samurai instead. Um, and and that's not really take a lot away from this, but I I just think there are more essential films than it. Uh, and, and so I would pair else instead. Instead, I guess I don't really. I feel like I rarely trash stuff. I do too. I'm so used to saying yeah. else that I I also rarely trash things. We Arthur. want to do it more. We, we want to do to. it more. We, we do do yeah. it more. I uh, I always just have this expectation that like if I don't shelve a lauded film, then I don't know. Well, you, 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 know you feel like it makes you look like an asshole. It goes back to the thing about the bougie film watchers who are looking down from their gate anyway. Yeah, regardless. I, Arthur, instead, I totally agree, buddy. Instead, I would say, uh, this is a double whammy, either one, but I think The Departed and Infernal Affairs, that idea of playing against each other. Okay. And, uh, the you know I think there's a lot going on yeah. there. Those dichotomies are, are really at play. And so either one are, are good. I, I, I enjoy The Departed, but uh, Infernal Affairs is a very good movie as well. Uh, mileage is going to vary on this next one, and I dread to say it but the usual suspects I, I you know i think a lot about uh, kaiser soze and that that same kind of mischievous impish thing that he's doing there uh and and finally i'm gonna say mad max fury road uh and you know you've kind of got this more neutral character who's thrown he he's just trying to get out yeah and he kind of gets thrown into this this war between two factions um but it's a darn good action movie and i think post-apocalypse movies uh i mean fury road is very the modern western. it's very stagecoach post-apocalypse yeah. exactly is is the same thing as Dustin mentioned. Well, we've with come full Japan. circle, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's again about conquering a new frontier, mm-hmm. and you've got your drifter. Anyway, yeah, yeah. We society there is when there are no more lands to conquer, you blow it up and you do it all over again. Yeah, that's that's how we we tell stories. So uh, yeah, I, I love the cycle of uh, knights and cowboys and samurais and and Mad Max. Like it's it's a fun way yeah. to keep being like, all right, how do we find a, a lawless land to put our lone drifter in? Yeah, uh, uh, and so those would be my my insteads for uh, for Yojimbo. Well, Dustin, you're up last, man. What do you say? So Yojimbo is so much fun. The score is just so surprising. Mafune's performance is just so solid. It is a great bit of popcorn fun that you should absolutely trash. Yep, there um, it is. It, I knew it. It, 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 it. It's it's so good. It's so good. It's, I, I mean, I really, really like this movie. But, I do too. But it's not essential. It's not the best Kurosawa movie. It's not the best Mafune movie. It, it's not the best Samurai movie. It's it, there's there's a whole. It's not the best Western sort of move movie. It's not the best sort of genre blender movie. It, it's not the best of any of those things. It is important. It's like the third or fourth best of all of those things. It's worth watching. It's part of the conversation. If you want to sort of be utterly fluent in the conversation, then you probably ought to take a look at it. But you don't need to own it. And that's where the trash and the shelf sort of um, demarcation line lies for me. You don't have. I happen to own it, but I'm I'm writing a dissertation about martial arts in America, so I I'm, I should own it but that's very specific um and belonging you to the, are a very specific person and so yeah it, but no for everybody else no you shouldn't um what else should you watch um i think in terms of the the kurosawa oeuvre you know you've you guys have name dropped uh, rashomon and seven samurai i think those are great possibilities ron's a great possibility kagamusha is a great possibility i'll go with ron because i think you ought to see ron and i think you ought to watch chris marker's little documentary chris marker is a great french new wave left bank filmmaker experimental filmmaker who's got a little documentary about Kurosawa called A period K period and uh, AK uh, and uh, I think that would be worth watching uh, so just get that 
Criterion release. And so, I mean, it's, it's bound together. So it's all in one place. Uh, there's a convenience factor there, despite all my trash talk against Criterion just a moment ago. Uh, so I would recommend that. In terms of a genre move as something labyrinthine, something with a lot of plotting, something with figuring out what's going on, I think you could do no better than, uh, the Coen brothers' Big Lebowski, where you get the big sleep happening in this sort of weird, crazy, ridiculous. Yeah. 90s California 90s with California. a bunch of, uh, late hippies. Yeah, late hippies and, you know, um, uh, German uh, nihilists who believe in nothing. Um, it's yeah. very fun. And so I think you ought to take a look at that. And if you do those things, I think you're having a pretty good time. And I'm not saying necessarily those movies are shelf movies, but I think, you know, if you were going to skip Yojimbo, you could skip it for those and you'd be doing just fine. There's something really incredible about the use of the Vietnam veteran uh, in The Big Lebowski in a similar role as the World War II vet is used in a much more classical noir. It's great. Yeah. Just a real upending of that archetype in a fucking wild way. And so, yeah, it becomes interesting. So there you go. Those were our thoughts. We like Yojimbo. You think we think you should see it. We do think you should see it. Don't buy it. Borrow it. Steal it. You see somebody showing it somewhere? Check go it out. Check it out. Absolutely. If there's a there's a Kurosawa retrospective at some point. Dustin's voice is getting really high because he's nervous <laughs> that people are going to take away his artsy guy credentials. <sighs> but no, don't, don't, don't. They can take away his credentials, but they can't take away his diplomas. They, That's true. This is true. Or his debt. Um, if you want to take away our debt. <laughs> yeah, hi, hi, have we talked about <laughs> Patreon yet? Patreon.com forward slash GTM <laughs> where you can go. <laughs> Uh, look, at some point, it would be nice if we could, uh, I don't know, pay off, pay off some stuff instead of, uh, just paying the hosting fees. I'm not gonna make you feel bad about it. It's fine if you don't want to give I us know. money. I'm not gonna uh, beg. I'm sure you, dear listener, are struggling just as much as we are. I'm not so. gonna, Everyone I'm not gonna is. offer to give you a hand chop or anything. That would be ridiculous. But, <laughs> God, if the ew. is right. Ew. ew. <laughs> We we did it. We all right. Circle. Well, before this ship goes down, maybe we should talk about next week. Two hundred ninety nine episodes, guys. I don't know. We haven't hit the iceberg yet, guys. Oh. I think we should try to full steam ahead into three hundred next week. What do you think? I agree. And Arthur, if uh, I, I like that segue, uh, listener, if you haven't picked it up, we're going to watch Inconvenient Truth. Yep. Yep. Okay. That's it. We're going to talk about we'll our sinking week. ship. Goodbye. Now we're going to talk about a more fun sinking ship. We're going to talk one about one with sexy young people doing cool stuff and drama and intrigue and romance we're gonna talk about james cameron's titanic that's right it's the modern epic it's the modern gone with the wind it's the modern uh been her ba- yeah lady in the tramp uh so uh, we we are gonna be all up in that it's episode 300 it's gonna be a full house of hosts. we're gonna be talking about one of the biggest movies of the last two or three decades uh one well, that of was... all time in fact yeah i mean look at those receipts um and uh we knew 300 needed to be big what's more iconic than titanic james cameron we're gonna have some uh some fun voices joining us we will have more mouths than we do microphones that's that is accurate yes yep so uh okay i'll stay for that one all right oh you didn't have an option you had to be here for that one. Oh, did i okay yeah, well, you can, you can, don't forget the captain has to go down with the ship you, so. in fact uh... you don't get to do this bit at least until March, because you have already agreed to do this entire cowboy marathon. It's true. I, I, I stipulate that I can we'll, change uh, my mind. At we'll any look time. at your extension uh, in February. Yeah, no, Arthur and I have a contract drawn up for you that Just you might want like to take a look at. Just like my employment at the university, I have yet to sign a contract <laughs> so I can do what I want. Well, we'll see about that. Okay. Yeah, well, I'll have my lawyer call. Uh, oh, you don't ha- oh, I'll have him call you then. Okay. <laughs> Do you want me to have him call your son? Yeah, yeah yes, call my okay. son. He's, all right. he, uh, he is my legal counsel. Let me see. Yada, 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 something, something. You keep watching. We keep talking. And we'll see you all next, next time. Next time.
Thanks for tuning in to the Good Trash Genre Cast. The Good Trash Genre Cast is a product of Good Trash Media. For more info on everything Good Trash, head on over to goodtrashmedia.com. Our intro music, as always, is from friend of the show Aaron Rodgers, and our outro music this week is Bring the Ruckus by the Wu-Tang Clan. And the Wu-Tang sword style. If what you say is true, the Shaolin and the Wu-Tang could be dangerous. Do you think your Wu-Tang sword can defeat me? On guard. I'll let you try my Wu-Tang style. Bring the motherfucking ruckus! Bring the motherfucking ruckus! Bring the mother, bring the motherfucking ruckus! Bring the motherfucking ruckus! Don't space, catch the blast of a hype verse. My clock burst, leaving a hearse, I did worse. I come rough, jump like an elephant tusk. Your head rush, fly like Egyptian musk. Aw, oh, shit, you tank clans, spark the wixen. However, I mastered a trick just like Nixon. Causing terror, quick damage your whole era. Hard rocks is like the fuck up, I found stock. Yellow style, hazardous, cause I wrecked this dangerous. I blow spots like Waco, Texas. I watch my back like I'm locked down. Hardcore hitting sound, watch me act broke and tear down. A little bit tight asshole. Songs going gold, no doubt. And you watch your corny make a foe. Yeah, they faking all that. Carrying gats with your mind playing, rolling like 40 max. Now you act convinced, I guess it makes sense. Wu Tang, yo, soon represent. I wait for one to act up. Now I got him backed up. Gun to his neck now, react what? And that's one in the chamber. Wu Tang banger, 36 styles of danger. Bring the motherfucking ruckus. Bring the motherfucking ruckus. Bring the mother, bring the motherfucking ruckus. Bring the motherfucking ruckus. Bitches. I roll with groups of ghetto bastards with biscuits. Check it, my method on the microphone's banging. Wu Tang slang, I leave your headpiece hanging. Plus this, I'm kicking like Segal out with justice. The rock miss.